Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan, and I will be your host. Today, we're going to visit the largest hospital in Switzerland, the Inselspital. Fortunately, without medical findings, but for an exciting conversation with Katja Berlinger, entrepreneur and professional board member. In today's episode, we will talk about the following topics. How to become a professional board member, how you can discover your passion and motivation, and also how you can balance a career and family life as a parent. From our interview room, we look out over the landing pad of the Rega helicopter. But fortunately, there are only a few missions during our interview, so we can ask our very first question in peace. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Katja, a very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. We are at the Insel Hospital today here in Bern, uh, where you're also a board member. But you didn't start your career off as a professional board member. You started as a journalist and then also were a lawyer. Basically, three different careers in, in one life. Can you explain us a bit how they fit together and how you transitioned from one career to the, to the next one? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're actually right. My first dream was to be a journalist and I actually uh, worked as a journalist for the then uh, very successful newspaper Cash, um, which doesn't unfortunately exist anymore. And I worked there part time to study my law school, uh, to finance my law school. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great experience, but I also realized that it's uh, difficult to be a journalist and stay a journalist because I saw that many of my colleagues, uh, when they grew a bit older, they sometimes uh, had some problems with only writing about very important people, but uh, always stay on the sideline. And then I also realized that uh, this was probably not meant to be, but I'm still very happy that I could see this part uh, of of, uh, a professional life. And I also still think it's very important that journalists are very, very well paid and that they are... Uh, that it's attractive to become a journalist because mm-hmm. they have an important role in our society. And there, there I'm sometimes a bit worried because of all the online uh, portals and so forth that uh, true journalism isn't valued. So I realized it wasn't so bad to have a real, <laughs> uh, um, like to study law. And I actually, I wasn't sure whether I should study law or economics. I went actually to university and I wasn't sure uh, in which direction I would go. And I looked at the people and at that moment I thought the, the people who were in the in the legal department were a bit nicer looking or I don't know. So really a gut So feeling. it was a complete uh, coincidence. And later in my life I realized I needed both. So um, yeah, it just happened and I liked to work as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that one moment, uh, and I had the luck that I was part of the Swiss Air process and um, <clears throat> my former boss, a very well-known uh, lawyer and, uh, and a very courageous man, he entrusted me to really be very independently working on this case. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I realized that this wasn't for me because I was digging in the past and I was working on these thousands of folders of grounding and uh, where the problem were. And I realized I will be here 10 years from now and nobody will really care what I will do on the legal side. Maybe it will be political decisions or whatsoever. And I also realized I'm not really working on the future I realized I really want to have an impact on, on things that still matter and I don't like to just dig in the past and to say this was wrong or this was bad. And yeah, so the, it, it became clear to me that I wanted to turn more into an economical career and I also um, I'm coming from an entrepreneurial uh, background. My, my family has a, a family firm. It was always very important to me to not just go there. I always wanted to have my own way, but I also realized that being an entrepreneur or being somewhere in a decision-making role of a company was uh, the thing I wanted to do. Sort of part of your DNA, right? It's actually... <laughs> today I know that it's a huge part of my DNA, but uh, it took me quite a long time to find out. And there have been points in my life where I wasn't sure whether it took me too long to find my way. Today I'm 100% sure that everything you do has a reason and it makes part of you afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I don't regret anything. And, and also the legal education shaped me and my thinking. Um, although I'm not at all risk adverse, like everyone says, lawyers are not good entrepreneurs. I think my DNA is stronger, but it's mm -hmm. still a very good asset to understand how you can structure uh, solve problems or also to know what you have to do in right. difficult times. And uh, from that point of view, a legal education is very precious. Mm -hmm. And to see red flags and uh, decide where you can just be an entrepreneur <laughs> and understand where it makes, <laughs> makes a lot of sense to get some experts in uh, to make sure that you're compliant. Absolutely. So, so actually that fit in well. And then during my time uh, on the Swiss Air case, actually, I decided I wanted to do an MBA. And then I went to INSEAD, which was the best year in my life. And I had this clear dedication that I wanted to change career, which um, is difficult when you're a lawyer, because people believe that you're risk, uh, that, that you don't like risk, that you're in a very specific person. So I went to London uh, to a startup um, in the e-commerce business, uh, in the, and I did sales. So like the most... <laughs> a non-legal job I thought of I could do. How, how was that for you? Because sales, you need to have a pretty high tolerance for, for frustrations, right? Mm -hmm. People tell you no all the time. Yeah, it was actually great. I liked it, but uh, I realized that uh, I, had, I had a boss who was not very ambitious. And I realized uh, I, I was a bit stuck. So that's how I then decided to go back to Switzerland because I really realized I was in the years of my career mm -hmm. where I didn't want to just work five hours a day and then <laughs> believe that was it. I was uh, thinking now I really have to shape things. Mm -hmm. And I went into a family office in Switzerland. And uh, there as well, I was very lucky to have a boss who 
was himself a lawyer, but then trusted me to do uh, really entrepreneurial things. And I did so many different things from uh, building up a company that did ski jackets to accompanying uh, <laughs> a company that does heart valves. So it was very broad. And um, a lot of people asked me at that time, how can you do so many different things? And because it's mm -hmm. like always other industries. And I had to say it was very good for me to understand what I was looking for because it was really, um, I applied always my same skills, which is general entrepreneurial <laughs> uh, spirit and maybe some, some legal advice. And um, the rest, you always have experts. So mm -hmm. you need diverse teams and you have to understand in which role you're there. Um, but it doesn't need just um, healthcare specialists in a healthcare board or just bioscientists in a in a bioscience environment. It needs everything, and and I think there I I was very happy that I could make many experiences. And um, yeah, so from that point, then I thought that the at the age of thirty five, I thought uh, uh, women need to be on boards and everybody would wait for me. And so I decided to uh, found my own company, which was like a law firm on the paper. But I decided I wanted to pursue a board career. And uh, to be very honest, I mean, I was far too young and far too ambitious. And nobody obviously just wanted me to have me in a board. But I was never, um, it wasn't a plan to be on a stock listed uh, company immediately. So I just started small and mm -hmm. sometimes I just did legal work and out of the legal work or mandate somebody sometimes occurred, sometimes they didn't. And, and I think this is <laughs> one masterpiece of advice. I always uh, was very humble and I just liked to work and to engage with people. Because in the end, it's anyway, it's about people. Mm -hmm. A lot is about purpose, that you like or you stand behind an idea uh, of what a company does. And it doesn't matter so much whether you're the lawyer or the board member, because if it's the right people, you discuss the important questions anyway. Exactly. And that's how, um, in the end, it, I, I kind of found my way, but it wasn't a very straight line. You always tested out new things, right? So that kept you going. And although they might not look like they were a perfect career in terms of the logical next step, you still kept going and that eventually led you to a... And in this setup, because it was a law firm mm -hmm. where I could basically not say to anyone what I was doing all the time, right. I could basically... Um, I could make it look like it would have always made sense, but I sometimes made mandates or did work that was, wasn't perfectly fitting into my end goal. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I thought it wouldn't fit in the beginning. And on the journey, I realized it fits a lot. So sometimes you don't know in advance. I know there are people that are very dedicated. Uh, when I today hire for Swiss Medikids, mm -hmm. always my first question is, why did you become a pediatrician? And in this profession, it's amazing. Many, many people wanted to be that from the age of five or from the age of 10. And I think right. it's a gift if you know that and Absolutely. then if you achieve it. But I never knew. So I, it took me a bit longer. And then I think if you're like I am, it's very important you try out things. Exactly. And uh, you never give up until you find uh, your final destination. And yeah, I was very lucky that, that, that it happened to me. But I think it's also about um, not being too strict. 
So in, in what way? Yeah. Um, as I say, I, I have I saw people that would say, no, you can't take this mandate. Maybe it stops you from doing this or that. And I was there much more uh, easy. I always thought, let's try it out. And if it doesn't work, then you can uh, you can do something else. And, and I mean, this is an advantage if you have like a portfolio of different clients sure. anyway. Because you never know in which direction also the companies evolve. I always worked in the beginning with, with young companies and some of them extremely develop and some mm -hmm. of them stay calm and you can, you can choose a bit along the line. So actually being in this law firm setup, having it was a good acquisition tool, a good way to get into new roles and, mm -hmm. and being asked about legal questions and then maybe reply and touch on other things that are not purely legal, always sometimes created right. new opportunities. And you start somewhere and then you grow into exactly. new areas, basically. Exactly. You also said that you were too young when you actually had this ambition of becoming a professional board member and nobody was waiting for you. How did you sort of stick through the probably also not so easy times, you know, to get moving, to get the first mandates? How did you really manage this, these early days to also not give up, not think like, oh, this is actually not working because nobody was waiting for me. By having a more relaxed and joyful attitude and not saying, I always thought the journey is part of the end goal and uh, also being open for what you learn. I think the worst thing is not doing anything. If you're just uh, waiting for the right thing and not doing anything, it's all a waste of time. And um, I was always lucky. I had so many different interesting things that I was able to, to be a part of. And um, sometimes it, it stopped after a while. Sometimes you continued. For example, Swiss Medikits, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't an extreme plan. It was like my old family office that was approached by a doctor who had this idea. And um, they actually looked for someone who would just be in the beginning there really on the sideline and just make sure that the money wasn't spent completely right. wrong. It was a pure board mandate, maybe with, which is typical for small companies with some smart additional advice, which is more operational, right. which you don't have in a later stage. But in the beginning, it's very common that, that mm -hmm. uh, people that engage also bring in know-how and sometimes give some guidance to build up the right processes. Yeah, and so it was just one mandate among many. I think they just chose me because I just became a mother of two little girls. And they said, yeah, it's with children. And Switzerland has a problem uh, in, in, um, in making sure that the children get sufficient medi medicines and, and sufficient pediatricians that take care mm -hmm. of them. And today it's not yet a big problem, but it will be a very big problem because uh, a lot of pediatricians are very go into pension very soon and they had a very other work ambition or they saw many more children than today's doctors do i'm not saying it's good or bad and then today's doctors just don't work as many hours anymore mm -hmm. and in the end uh, i realized for a society it, if such basic needs are endangered i i realized this was the purpose i was always looking for and um, if I look in the, look back, I always have to say if I found things where I believed they had a real purpose and when I was able to work with good people in a culture that, that 
made me feel well, mm -hmm. it also became most of the time successful. And this is also the advice I would give to, to everyone outside. I, I really believe that it helps to go through sometimes difficult times as an entrepreneur if you really have passion and if you really believe that it's important what you're doing. And uh, I realized that it's important what I'm doing when I sometimes had to, to, um, to, um, to go over like five strollers <laughs> into my office and I couldn't hardly <laughs> work anymore because I actually, the doctors needed the space where I was basically um, doing bills or whatever or hiring new people. And I was just in the way because the doctors needed the space to treat children. So you really realized, hey, we are serving a big need, right? We are serving a big need and actually we are, we are growing. And uh, that, that was also the moment where I decided to become much more involved. And I really mm -hmm. stepped away from this pure board position and became operationally the CEO of this company. And it was uh, in an early enough stage to really build a company in a way where I'm really proud of because we started really to first work on our person and our mission. Mm -hmm. And then we defined our core values. And what, what are the core values that you defined? <laughs> it's um, uh, being present, mm -hmm. um, being reliable and being caring. So it's, it's very um, dedicated, obviously, to, to what we do because we are there every day. And obviously, we care about the patients. And obviously, if we promise something, then uh, then we also want to hold it. But actually, we, we built it up into every company process. So if we hire, if we do uh, year-end um, reviews with employees right. or so, this is things to be measured. And it's, it's a great guidance when you grow. Because the values I have in the beginning, when we were small, I could put, I could this, um, bring these values to every employee. Sure. But today we have a hundred uh, employees, so I can't be there every day present yeah. for them. So if if the people that lead know what our guidance is and what values we pursue, then it becomes very easy. So if you have an employee, for example who is leaving uh, exactly when the shift ends, although mm -hmm. there are hundreds of patients waiting and there is a chaos in, in, in its department, then it's not very caring for the other employee. And it's also not present <laughs> because he leaves. And, and these are these uh, little things that makes it very easy if you are there and if you're maybe even new in the company, you can look at these values and, and find the answer by yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also a big help because at one point when you grow very fast, you have to delegate. Uh, it gives you a very good guidance, I think. Yes. How did you come up with those values? What, were, were you the driving force to actually you know, really write them down or did you also involve like the founding team? How did you go about that? We involved the whole company. We uh, really, I mean, we had a professional assistance, obviously, mm -hmm. also to, to define those values, but actually right. they were developed with the employees of the company at that time. And it, part of it was also team building, but it was also to develop what we really wanted to do. And um, interestingly, um, there were times we really spoke about them a lot and today they are just there, but it's really, it's, it's something that, that helps and that I would recommend to everyone. And um, if it's more than just a nice post on the wall, exactly. that, that is important because you see it in many companies. But I think that the key is to, to actually really put it into your processes. 
So mm-hmm. how do you actually do that? How do you actually also lift the valley? So you have them somewhere visually? Is it it's like images, yeah, posters? Are, no, they are posters. <laughs> you need posters sure. too. <laughs> but what else do you need? Because posters are not enough. You also need to lift them and, and you as you said, processes, them, right? So present means I also need to be present. Uh, I mean, it's clear that you can't be present at four different places at the same time, but mm-hmm. you have to be present. You have to stand to for what you say. If, if you expect things from your employees, you should do them as well. Mm-hmm. So all these things, but they are not, um, th- these are not things for which you have to study for a long time. I think right. it's a very core values uh, of our society mm-hmm. here. And uh, this is sometimes also, I have to say, from my uh, background, uh, from my family for film, I, I made many... Uh, or I studied a lot and I did my MBA or whatever, <laughs> but many things I actually learned from my parents and it was being respectful and being caring also for for the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think corporate governance is also a bit different if you're really an entrepreneur and if you're there for a long time and not just, if you perceive yourself not just as a manager, I think it becomes much more important that right. it's not just about becoming rich. It's about creating a, an environment that makes the world a bit a better place. So these these family influences, so the values that your family sort of gives you when you're a child are crucial that you have them with you. Do you think that it's also possible to develop them on your own later on? Of course. How would you go about that if, if somebody feels like, they are not where they should be yet, but would like to further develop themselves in that area. That's a very good question. I think you, I was very lucky because I just got it right. <laughs> by by growing up. But I think it's also personality. It's the same as being a great leader, for example. I think it's a lot of being a great leader is sometimes talent, mm-hmm. but even the best talent can learn from being further educated. So. It's a combination. But I believe if you're not at all made to be an entrepreneur, then just to get it from scratch, although it's not in your personality, will be difficult. Mm -hmm. But I think if you really have these talents and if you can live with a bit of uncertainty and if you want to be creative and building up things, then I think you can learn a lot from uh, from other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically you can learn a lot from these, uh, I think these hidden champion firms, these family firms that have been in generations, been built up. They oftentimes, they don't have corporate governance in a, in a Swiss code of best practices sense, but they work really well yeah. because the, the patrons, they don't only care about their family, they also like their employees are a bit like mm-hmm. part of this family as well. Exactly. For example, my mom always told me, never go to politics. It's it's good, you know, politicians, they, they can make sure the country goes well. Mm-hmm. But you're indirectly influencing. We can directly influence the, the life of the people that work for us. You, you, you can do it immediately. Yeah. And, and I think this is something which is very true. That's a beautiful way of, of looking at it, I think. Mm-hmm. I would also like to go back a bit to, you know, sort of the feeling that you had when you discovered that this is really your purpose or your passion, when you saw all the strollers around and you mm-hmm. see, oh, hey, we're really serving a big need. This is a really good project. 
how did that make you feel that you really felt like, hey, this is really the project that I want to dedicate myself to. This is my purpose. How did that feel? How did that uncover? It just happens, you know, because you're um, discovering yourself just spending more and more time because it makes you happy. And you start to make a little better tweak on this process that's already fine mm -hmm. because you just think it should be better. And because you like what you do and you don't measure time anymore. And so it also doesn't really feel like work. It doesn't feel I love that that a lot of people ask me how can you do all you do? I said because I like what I do. And otherwise I don't think you can you can um, manage those workloads. Mm -hmm. And I really have to say um, it gives you so much back if you find a dedication can be different dedications, you know, but then it's not like you sit there and just decide I'm doing this. Basically, it really happens. I think it's probably like falling in love. You sometimes just know this is now <laughs> the guy and then, it ha and then you know it. So and it's difficult to describe, but you realize when you arrive there. You know, exactly. Is there any suggestion or recommendation from your part? You know, if, if we talk to young people, for example, some of them say, you know, I really want to work on something that is meaningful, that is also like a, following a good purpose, but I haven't really found my own purpose or mo motivation yet. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend them to go out and find their own motivation? To try out as many things as possible. Because if you had asked me 30 years ago, I would have for sure told you I would not be doing what I do today. Because when I was in uh, high school, uh, I didn't know what, uh, what to do, I told you. And there was this one counselor who wanted to persuade me to become a doctor. And I said, this is the only one I know I can't become <laughs> because I was too afraid of not being able to cure people. And I would be too emotional in losing them. Right. And funnily today, I'm basically in this business, but I'm not, not as directly there and, and probably, yeah. yeah, sometimes I think um, you only understand yourself or it, with me it's like this. I only understood what I was by trying out many things mm -hmm. and by realizing what made me happy. And maybe a piece of advice is uh, I, uh, I speak to many women that say, how should I plan my career? And I basically tell them, you should write down what was the single task in your day to day that made you feel the most happy? Was it dealing with people or was it sitting alone behind a computer or, or what was it? And then start to understand what gives you the best feeling. And sometimes people are very happy if they can write legal lawsuits sure. alone in their office and they become extremely good in it. And some other people are very happy if they can develop people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's about becoming aware because I, yeah. Really pushing the self-awareness. Yes. I think that's a very good piece of advice. Mm -hmm. So do that every day from now, if you listen to this. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> also in terms of, you know, you said you have to test things out. Um, many young people also say, yes, I want to do that. But then also feel that they need to change something fast again. So when is the right time to change something once you start it? And for how long should you actually commit and also go through the ups and downs that this brings with you? Because I think this is a, also a bit, a bit a tricky question. Should you commit to one year, to several months, several years? When I hire for Swiss Medikids, I always tell the people that I hope and dream of becoming old with, with these people together. Mm -hmm. 
And I think if you find the right place, there's nothing against staying if, if you can develop. And I think right. uh, when you're young, um, I think you should always try to do jobs or stay in positions where you see that you can develop. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes um, I'm a bit worried that the younger generation uh, starts to be very early on just to care about work-life balance and all these things, which don't misunderstand me, they, they are very important. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're young, you have a lot of energy and it's very important to also spend some time in understanding what is nice and to develop. And I think you should definitely leave a job if you can so easily do it that there is no challenge anymore. I think if you right. can just really do your work and, as I say, uh, be ready at two o'clock and theoretically just uh, check Facebook anymore, then it's time to move on. Absolutely. Yeah. Then you neglect your personal development to a certain yes. degree. So now going back to Swiss Medicates, where you found your passion and your true purpose, you were also not the main stakeholder when you actually started there, but then really also, you know, found out that this is a really important project to you. Mm -hmm. How did that make you feel that you were not the major stakeholder, but still this is a very important piece of work for you, of, of project, of purpose? How do you go about that? It, in the beginning, you don't realize it because mm -hmm. it wasn't the center of my life. But then, um, you know, I, I talked to you about the values. I mean, obviously, uh, although we develop them together, I, I'm very much committed to these values. And I'm very convinced everybody can be replaced, but I still left a very big footprint in this company because I cared so much about it. So over the time, I realized that it didn't make me entirely happy being, uh, I had at that time 15% of the shares, but still basically dedicating everything that I believed in to this company. And Maybe if I would have been a pure employee, it would have been easier. Or if I had been a pure owner, it would also have been easier. But this 15% over time, just I realized they were not the perfect <laughs> stage because it was uh, too much to not care and too little to really decide. And I'm very, very glad that uh, in the end, um, my, my former shareholders and I found an agreement that I could really overtake the control of the company and that I really... Um, yeah, that I can make sure that I can really grow old <laughs> right. with these employees because in the past you never know when you're an employee you could also be fired. I mean, sure. you never know what happens. And, yeah. and there I also realized that's probably part of my DNA of, of having this past in a family firm. Mm -hmm. For me, it feels like going back to the normal state of life. That, right. that you're like um, owning and leading and uh, caring. And uh, I'm sure it's not made for everyone because it's also responsibility because you have to make sure you can pay the salaries. Of and um, Yeah, but I think if you're someone who likes this, it's also very enriching. Yeah. So Were the negotiations or the discussions difficult? Because you, you seem to be very passionate about the project, but on the other hand, Someone who sees that could also think, oh, it's cool to have you in there. You really drive my, the value of my shares, my company, but I don't want to give you any of, of, of this. So were the talks difficult or was it? 
we didn't talk. We we were wise enough to get professional uh, mediate mediation. Okay. I would say for for solving this and and obviously as I also had to sort out financing and all these things sure. and it's not um, made in one day. Of course. And obviously we also accommodated an environment where, where the shareholders really had also the ability to check other options because mm-hmm. I think this is process, a fair process is extremely important to get a good result. And I think um, it was very crucial that we realized we shouldn't do this on our own so that we should have like help in this process and have someone neutral who was accompanying. That's a very yes. good also recommendation, I think, to people thinking about similar situations. Yes, definitely. Just in case that the discussions or the negotiations wouldn't have gone in the way that they went now, was there a plan B from your side or what would you have done? Um, there, There is always, how can I say, I am... I have never been working just for uh, Swiss Medikids. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on the board here in this wonderful hospital. I have other board mandates. So I think I didn't go into these extreme detailed plan Bs because I would have probably just uh, pursued more board mandates okay. or whatever. But being an operational entrepreneurial person, I'm very happy mm-hmm. that it came out like this because it, I would probably miss it very much. Right. Um, not saying I, I, I like the other work as well because it inspires you a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is another advice. I'm very happy <laughs> that I don't do just one thing. And I think it, this enables you to develop again and again. And I think this is probably the, the advice I would also give to entrepreneurs also if it takes off. Mm-hmm. And if you become successful, try to do limited work also in other environments because it helps you so much to to ask yourself the right questions and and to not just stay where you are. Would would you recommend like taking on board positions or board positions? Do something good uh, for free, whatever makes you happy. Okay. Just don't do one thing. Mm-hmm. Only. I think that's also good advice. Yes. <laughs> How do you still keep the focus then? Like, should you dedicate like 80% of your time to your main project or is that very no. individual? I think it's just important you have very clear um, agreements mm-hmm. with the people you work for yeah. because as soon as you take on board mandates, you cannot stick to a schedule because if the company goes smoothly, it's all fine and sure. you can do it like you thought. Yes. If the company goes into big crisis, yeah. your life changes a lot and you have to be able to dedicate a bit more time than right. or sometimes not just a bit, but you have to be ready to have a certain flexibility. Mm-hmm. That's why transparency with your shareholders and stakeholders is important. Yeah. But I had, unfortunately, the situation that I was involved into a very big fraud case in in an in a international environment. But I was involved on in, in um, like I was on Swiss boards of a company that internationally uh, was was involved in a fraud case. And uh, when this popped up, I mean, as a board member then in Switzerland, you have all your duties, and obviously. <laughs> You start to spend a lot of time because you have to monitor and you have to go to into a completely different mode. 
And I think this is what a lot of people underestimate if they um, want to do board careers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is the normal times and you can handle it like this, but you always have to have some buffer and flexibility to be also there if it's difficult. Right. Yeah. And this is not, you can't plan it. It comes as it falls, basically. Yes. <laughs> With the management buyout decision, you also obviously involved your husband, who's mm-hmm. currently staying at home with your two kids. Mm-hmm. There you basically still have the traditional roles of one partner is taking care of the home and the kids and one partner is working, but you basically flipped it to the traditional understanding. This was also not planned. When I, when I met my husband, he was way more successful than I was and he also earned much more money. Uh, but he was in the financial industry and with Lehman uh, bankruptcy and so forth, the circumstances for his business uh, uh, became much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I always say we went from double income, no kids to two kids, no income. So. <laughs> It was not always easy times, but it wasn't the case that I just went to my husband and said, so you stay at home and I please can go work. <laughs> it just developed and it also developed like this because my husband felt um, he, he himself grew up in a very protected environment while I was growing up in an entrepreneurial environment. So my parents always worked and my husband then when the children uh, but there he said, I really don't want that our children are just uh, um, only um, uh, cared, um, how can I say, that they are just uh, outsourced <laughs> more or less. Sure. And he said, look, uh, it really seems that you're doing uh, well with what you started and I would actually be ready to overtake more on this side. So it was kind, it was never planned. And I think actually my husband's really a pioneer because uh, the environment was always very critical in, in observing us. And I, I can imagine, especially in Switzerland, then they say, what are you doing? This is strange. Yeah, and I think the people that were so critical, they actually wanted to help us. They didn't mean it bad. They, okay. I think it was just so different to, yeah. to their own plan of life that they, they thought they had to give us an advice. Mm-hmm. And I think my husband is very self-confident. And I think if he weren't, he would probably not done. No, he would not be able to do it. And I always uh, tell my husband when my when our kids will be married, then we will probably have the time where the people realize what a pioneer you've been. Right. Because obviously, it, the time wasn't ready ten years from now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you when we brought children to the kindergarten or whatever, yeah, people still look at my husband that the man was bringing the children and not the woman. With me, I think I always had a very, I I still, I like all my neighbor friends and so, but sometimes I think they believe maybe that I'm a bit an alien. I don't know. I think they don't think it's wrong what she's doing, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I think they believe or they ask themselves, why, why is she doing it? And, And yeah, so. It's a very different way how we structured it, but I always say it doesn't matter. You just have to work for the company, mm-hmm. uh, for the company, for the, for the for family. family. <laughs> it has to work for the family. And you as a couple always have to discuss again whether it still works. Mm-hmm. And I can't see into my husband's soul, but we have this agreement 
that if it doesn't fit anymore, he needs to say it and then we can change it again. Right. So I think you have to stay flexible and, uh, and also monitor because he gave obviously up a lot. So mm -hmm. doing the MBO to close the circle is also a big chance uh, that he can start uh, becoming engaged because we made this decision really together. And he was very heavily involved in the financing discussions and it's very important. So there's also looks sort of an open door for him to also start working as the kids grow probably and get more independent. You have to see whether this makes him happy then, but sure. at least in a constellation like this, you can do this much more easily yeah. than if it would be uh, just in a company that you have not control. I mean, then it's a bit weird, you know, <laughs> if a partner just starts to work there because the CEO has a relationship yeah. with this person, you would not do this. But it's our decision and it's our common uh, money that, mm -hmm. that we invested. And then it makes a completely different story. Absolutely. Yeah. Another topic, not strongly, but somehow related to that is also, you are a very established businesswoman nowadays. And also there are still like other women that don't really go for the top positions available in, in economy and business. So from your perspective, what, what is holding women back to really pursue and also aim for higher positions and what can be done about that? For me, it's clearly um, because we are doing too well. I think uh, we are doing so well that society still can afford to say that you should be at home for a certain while. And I think this um, belief is still in many heads mm -hmm. that a woman who starts working very early on is not a good mother, uh, not a good mother, that she is not uh, taking care of her kids enough. I was probably not as much exposed to this because my, my husband was at home, but I was still asked this question many times. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and yes, I mean, I on purpose tried to look for a career where I didn't have to travel and where I was able to be home almost every night and then work again when the kids would sleep. Because for me, that was important. But I think it doesn't matter as long as the family feels fine. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm today very happy that uh, my husband does this good job. Uh, I would have probably been... Um, happy with other solutions as well but I know he would not have been and I think in the end this is what it's all about and now to your questions I think the pressure on women that just have a kid and then start working again is still too high so this is definitely one reason because you're looked at negatively mm -hmm. the second thing is could this be changed in any way because that's a big society problem right so this is really sort of difficult to change in, in the in the minds of the people, but you probably need role models who prove that it can be different yes. done differently. You need role models, but obviously everything comes at the price, then you can't have it all. So sure. it's not all wrong of the people that say, if you never see your kids, then uh, it's uh, absolutely no problem. Obviously, right. it has an impact that you also spend some time with your kids. So it's never black and white. But I think as long as we can afford it, and salaries of one part of the family are enough, then I'm not sure whether it will change so easily because it's still 
you, you can't believe how many uh, I, I was once uh, somebody a, a headhunter wanted me to work with him and during the discussion this person said yeah anyway I also think it's very weird if women work so many hours if they have a if they have a, a, a successful job and I was thinking have you googled me or did you not realize that I also have two kids and this happens on and on because a lot of the important decisions are still are still um, filled by headhunters of old of the old boys clubs mm -hmm. and they believe we we are not doing the right thing and right. that's why they are also not considering us for certain positions and this must change obviously and probably time will help a little bit and um, um, but I also think as long as we don't have flexible structures so that children go to school at the same time and come home uh, at an organized level and uh, you don't need uh, somebody at home for lunch or so, it's, I mean, where really if it's great, but it's not everywhere in Switzerland already in a stage where you can just easily send your kids to school and then work for, uh, for a reasonable amount of hours. It's still uh, not where it should be. So it's there's the, the many little things that make up the good environment. I think basically. the sum is that society doesn't appreciate, mm -hmm. and if society doesn't, that's why so many women found their own companies. Actually, including me, because if you have your own company and if you meet somebody who will only give you a job if you don't work too much, sure. then your company does not have so many mandates. But if you only get a job, if you have a very full life, then, I mean, you can just tailor a bit to whoever you talk to because it's not so obvious. But if you're in a corporate environment and everybody knows you're working 100% and you're doing this and this, people stamp you and um, some people like it and some don't. So that's actually also a good point. So women should actually start their own companies to then also have the flexibility and adapt to their own schedule to a certain degree. I had very early on a, a telephone company that just took my phone and I was always diverted to this uh, company. And mm -hmm. this lady there always said, uh, Miss Berlinger is just in a meeting. Right. And whether I was feeding uh, my child or whether I was really in a meeting, right. I also believe it is none of anyone's business. As long as I am performing in my, in sure. my job, nobody should care. And there, I think women also yeah, should try to be more self-confident and do what they do in, and, this, and, and, and ask to be measured uh, by performance and not by life circumstances. Because for, for one family, it may work wonderful if both work and for another, it doesn't because it's all about values of these specific people and uh, it's not a general <laughs> agenda. Talk to each other and find a model that works for you, basically. Exactly. Wonderful. So before we conclude with the episode, I have two last questions for you. Are there any favorite tools or gadgets that you use yourself on a regular basis? Unfortunately, it's just my iPhone. <laughs> it's the most important gadget because it also has, I have today all the newspapers and books and music and it has so many things inside. So it's... Yeah, it's not a very <laughs> uncommon gadget, but it's... it's yeah, Everything you need, yes. right? And are there any additional resources that you can recommend, like books, blogs, podcasts that you 
consume yourself on a regular basis. Yeah, since I know <laughs> your podcast, obviously, <laughs> the Swiss Preneurs podcast. Um, you may laugh now, but I, uh, do, because I went to INSEAD, I have a very international uh, network of friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm very glad I'm connected with all of those people on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And it gives me a very different view on the world because I'm not only reading local newspapers, but I also read uh, yeah, messages from all these people from all around the world right. with their different opinions. And I mean, obviously, it's also catching up with friends, but it's also they are all very smart people and they raise their opinions or post uh, articles or so. So it's often time inspired by whatever these people post on LinkedIn or wherever, where I then um, go and find uh, more information. Well, the diversity and the, the lookout for new things and the next And it's thing. so uh, interesting because sometimes, I mean, obviously they speak also about Trump or they sure. speak about the WEF, but the angles that they look at it are oftentimes very different. Right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Katya, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you. You're very welcome. We look forward to see you again in the next episode. Thank you. I do as well. In the next Whispener episode, you will learn from Katya how to set up a successful board of directors. We talk about the common mistakes of board members and how to avoid them the right number of directors and their background, and also how a successful board works together and makes decisions. Make sure to tune into an only episode of the Swisspreneur Show next week, and we hope to see you there.